0: Good morning, my name is Bobby Tibbles. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible, and it's my honor this morning to read the text from our service, which is going to be Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's a familiar story, but if you break out your copy of God's Word and read along with me, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the west, or east, excuse me, arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. In you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said... Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This
1: is God's work. Amen. Thank you, Bobby. Well, good morning, guys. Cool. I'm Barbara Asher, the pastor here at Calvary. If you have any questions about our church, feel free to see me after the service. Uh, but before I get started, I just want to say Merry Christmas and hope you all have. A wonderful weekend to celebrating the Lord's arrival, Amen. And that's what it's all about at uh, the Christmas season. Um, just kind of let you know, the mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. And part of being a biblical follower is understanding what you believe. So, starting January 14th, I wanted to specify kind of this upcoming sermon series. We're doing a sermon series on systematic theology and doctrine, specifically on angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. And the month of January, probably bleeding over into the month of February. And today is our third and final week of our Christmas series, just on the Christmas season and why Christ came. We began in Matthew chapter 1 with a list of names and the genealogies, and that kind of brought confirmation to the first century Jewish audience that Matthew is addressing. And then at the end of Matthew 1, we saw Joseph's story, and in that story, It talks about why Jesus came. It provides his mission. But then today, our story provides clarity. It provides clarity. But I do have a favor to ask before we get started. I mean, we all have heard the story of the Magi, the wise men, you know, the countless songs, We Three Kings of Orientar. I don't even know how many different songs are about those guys. But they have a very small uh, part in the Christmas in the Bible story. But what I want to do this morning, the favor I ask, is for us to kind of set aside what we already know about the story and just view it with fresh eyes. Allow me to begin with a question, though. How many of you, it's kind of a random question, how many of you remember what a newspaper was? Am I? All right. Back before the Internet, back before Xboxes, when I was still on my NES and SNES back in when I got on the. I remember the first time I got on the internet. Anybody remember that in his room? Okay, all right. My fourteen point four modem. Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about there? Okay, but back in the days of newspapers, when I was a kid, the Sunday paper would come in and I would open it up and I would go to the very back section of the newspaper. And if you remember what was there, it was the comic book strip section. You might know what I'm talking about. So I had kind of my favorite comic strips. I would read Beetle Bailey, and no, yes, Peanuts, BC. Okay, But if you went to the very back page of that section, you would see these two pictures, and they had six differences, and you had to pick them out. You might know that one. No? Okay. Uh, but then they also had a picture with just dots. And what you would have to do is you would have to draw a line from dot one to dot two, dot three, and as you drew that single line the picture came into view that's what Matthew 1 and 2 does throughout the Old Testament they had dots or small items of the Messiah's arrival they had a small picture of what the Messiah might be why, why he came and then Matthew chapter 1 and 2 the line is beginning to connect the dots and what we see is the full picture of why Jesus came both who he was And why he came. And what I want to do this morning is I want you to set aside kind of what you already know about the story of the Magi. We're going to look at it from a different side, a different perspective. We're going to see how the pictures of the Magi, how it connects the dots together for the Christmas story. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 2. Now uh, the famous last words of a preacher are, "I don't I don't plan to go too long, so I don't plan to go too long today. So uh, hang in there with me. I do plan to get you out a little bit early this morning. But as we enter the text, let us just look at it with fresh set of eyes. Now the first week we were talking about the genealogy of Jesus. We saw the identity of who Jesus was. He is introduced in Matthew chapter one as the Messiah, and he is proven to be the messianic divine King forever." And then at the end of Matthew chapter 1, it provides his purpose. And why did Jesus come? And keep in mind, who is Matthew writing to? He's not writing to Americans that live in a nice house in the 21st century in Huntsville, Alabama. He is writing to Jews in the 1st century. And when they come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, they must be a bit shocked Because the picture that they have of the Messiah is one that's going to deliver them, not from their sin, but from Roman oppression. So what they see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says this, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you've been at church for any length of time, you know how Jesus will save us from our sins. I mean, that's nothing really new. But they don't really understand how this guy named Jesus, who was born in a town called Bethlehem, how he will come and how he will save them from their sins. But the picture comes into full bloom. Today I want to talk to you about connecting the dots. And the dots that are connected, how Jesus will save us from our sins, are found in the gifts of gold, myrrh, and frankincense. So if you have your text, notice it with me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 2, says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the Great, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Now if you notice here, Matthew doesn't make a big deal out of Jesus' birth. It just kind of says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Whereas in Luke's account, Luke kind of, unpacks it compiles an account of how jesus was born if you remember they were going to bethlehem for a census but here matthew's goal is not to compile a historical story of how jesus came into a little town called bethlehem but here it's just saying it happened now after jesus was born in bethlehem of Judea, in the days of herod the king now which herod is it talking about i'm not going to talk about too much but this is herod the great there are many different herods in the new testament but this is Herod the Great. This is a man that was appointed as the king over Israel by the Roman authorities. And if you remember Herod the Great, he kind of his lasting legacy is that he built some nice buildings. He took Zerubbabel's temple that we talked about in the book of Haggai. He kind of built it up. And we can actually still see Herod's temple today in the city of Jerusalem. We see the temple mount that was there. So Herod, the king, and then notice what it says, the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, notice what they say, where is he who has been born the king of Jews? For we saw saw his star, notice that, his star in the east and have come to worship him. The first dot I would like to connect today is what they're trying to find. Where is he who has been born the King of the Jews? As I was preparing the sermon this week, I had never noticed this particular reference before. But connect the dots with me. Where have you heard this phrase before? Does anybody recognize this phrase? Where, he, where is he who has been born the King of the Jews? I want you to think through the book of Matthew. Where does that sound familiar Matthew chapter 27 verse 11, connect the dots. The Magi are looking for the King of the Jews. Remember, we're trying to clarify why Jesus came, that we are, He will save us from our sin. The first connection we have is that He is King of the Jews. If you remember the story of the crucifixion, what is the sign that is posted above His head? On that hill of Calvary. It is the sign that says this exact thing. The Magi say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That they are looking for a king. But also that reference right there tells me of the crucifixion. It is foreshadowing how the Savior will save us from our sins. That he will die on a tree. And above his head will hang a sign called the king of Jews. But let us talk about who these Magi are. Now, we kind of take it for granted who these guys are. Now, I'm just going to ruin all the nativity scenes around town. Um, because most likely, there weren't three of them. We say there were three of them because of the three gifts that they brought. But most likely, there were far more than that. A matter of fact, in verse, two, it's, in verse 3, it says there is a stir coming from the Magi. So one scholar says that there could have been as many as 300 Magi to cause a stir. And you think about the nativity scene itself. And they all come in their perfectly, you know, ironed robes and their gold and purple. But they probably didn't look like that. As a matter of fact, they're probably pretty mangy looking, okay? Because they were traveling on camels from a distant land, probably from Babylon, to see this king of the Jews. And so there were probably three hundred different magi. And they're looking for this man. And if you notice here, most likely these men were not Jewish. A matter of fact, they weren't Jewish. But they were probably astrologers in the city of Babylon. They see a star in the distance and they come to follow him. But if you notice, they come to find this king of the Jews, which tells me something about them. That they have been influenced probably by a remnant in the city of Babylon Because they see this star and they associate the star with somebody who is promised from the Old Testament. So connect the dots. They are looking for the king of the Jews. And that reference is the sign that is above Jesus' head. How will he save us from our sin? Number one, by his death. And then if you notice in verse 3, how does Herod respond? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, again, let us set aside what we know about this story already. Let us see it with fresh eyes. When I saw verse 3, my first reaction was, of course he was troubled. I mean, this is kind of when a co-worker comes up to you and says, Oh, by the way, the guy they just hired in the other department, he was hired to replace you. All right? That's what he thinks. The Herod the Great, the king of the Jews that was appointed by Rome that this mystery person that these magi have come to find is there to replace in a sense herod the king or at least that is what he thinks so connection number one how will jesus save us from our sin because there will be a sign hung above his head that says that he is king of the jews and that is who they are looking for in verse one and two But then also, the rest of the dots are connected. Why Jesus came, how he will he save us from our sin, it is connected to the gifts that they give him in verses 7 through 11. Notice what it says in your text. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined for them the exact exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report it back to me. So that I too may come and worship him. Of course, what is he doing? He doesn't want to worship him. He wants to kill the king of the Jews, his competition in a sense. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures. Now notice how it describes the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It doesn't just say a gift, but treasure, something to be valued. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all have heard this story before. But what we may not realize is that the gifts themselves help us connect the dots on how this king of the Jews, this Messiah, will save us from our sins. The three gifts are gold. Why gold? Well, keep in mind that these are the astrologers are probably wealthy men from Babylon. The gold here is symbolically representing royalty. That they are giving this gold to somebody who is of royal descent and royal blood. Again, they're looking for the king of the Jews. This signifies, in a sense, his death, that he will be hung on a tree to die for the sins of the world. And then, number two, they're giving him myrrh. Now, what in the world is myrrh? Myrrh is a... Okay, let me just put it illustrated for you guys. Myrrh is the candle that you light before people come over to your house. Alright, why do you light that candle? Okay, it's to cover up the smell of your home. Am I the only one that lights a candle? Alright, that's what myrrh does. Myrrh is to cover up the smell of decay. It was used when people died and they would wrap it in the linens to cover up the smell. This is representing Jesus' burial. So you have the king of the Jews. How will he save us from our sin? The first century Jews, the the dots are beginning to connect on how he will save us from our sins. He will die on a tree and then he will be buried. And in his tomb will be placed myrrh to cover up the stench of decay. This is showing to the first century Jewish audience on how he will save us from our sins. And if you know, what does Nicodemus place in his tomb? John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus places myrrh. Myrrh is a sap that comes from the myrrh tree, and it has a stench that would cover over any unpleasant fragrance that is to rise. And then we're going to talk about frankincense. So royalty, his death, his burial, and then frankincense. Frankincense, again, is a good-smelling sap or resin but if you were to look in your Old Testament, if you were to actually do a word search on the word frankincense, you would see that it is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2. Now, um, many of us just kind of skip over the book of Leviticus. Am I the only one here? Um, we, we kind of get all stuck down in all these strange rules. It's Levitical law. And if you know, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2 is talking about the grain offering. And when Aaron would take the grain offering, he would take frankincense, and he would mix it together. And what does it say in verse 2 of Leviticus 2 is that there will arise a pleasant aroma before the Lord. How will Jesus save us from our sins connecting the dots? He will save us from our sins by his death, by his burial, and by his resurrection, that his sacrifice was sufficient and that he was risen again by the resurrection as a pleasing aroma or sacrifice ...to the Father to pay for the sins of the world. So as the first century Jew that they are seeing this unfold... The, connect, ...the dots are beginning to connect on who this Jesus Kai is. And the Christmas story is the story of the Messiah's arrival. The Christmas story, in a sense, began in the Garden of Eden... ...when sin was ushered into all mankind and into the world... ...and there was promised a seed that would come from the woman... And as, we, as the un, Old Testament unfolds, we begin to see the picture of the Messiah become clearer and clearer and clearer. And then Matthew 1 and 2, the lines begin to find a picture of who he is and how he will save us from our sins. Number one, who is Jesus? We see in Matthew chapter 1, he is the messianic divine king forever because of his fathers, because he is of the seed of Abraham, Judah, David, and Zerubbabel. And then at the end of 2, it brings clarity on why he came. We saw Joseph's story. He came born of a woman to save us from our sins. And how will he save us? He will save us from his death as king of the Jews, the sign that is put above his head. He will save us by his burial and by offering his body as a sacrifice and a pleasing aroma to the Father and the sign of the pleasing of the Father and the sufficiency of the sacrifice is the frankincense, is the sweet smelling aroma, and that is the story of the Magi connecting the dots on the Christmas story. Um, but the question I have is this one: Is so what? You know, how does it apply to our life? You know, we all are so familiar with the Christmas story that in a sense it's lost its kind of luster its special meaning its sense of wonder i mean just imagine the jewish audience in the first century that they're hearing about this for the very first time and when i was sitting around my tree this week this week i was sitting downstairs and i was preparing this lesson and i be, began to kind of think about the application portion and i just asked myself the question so what you know how does this story of some wealthy astrologers from the east coming and following a star and offering gold frankincense and myrrh how does this really apply to life and i sat there and i was by that tree and i looked at all the presents under the tree and the thought came to my mind is that the christmas story all of those presents remind me of the greatest gift of all right right I mean, that's, we, that's the Christmas story in a sense, that the greatest gift of all came, was born of a virgin, was born in a little town called Bethlehem, and some men from the far east came to worship him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the story of the Christmas is—is is, should remind us here today uh, that we have the greatest gift of all, that Christ has come. So my application is this. That before you open that very first gift, that you would think to yourself that this gift reminds me of the greatest gift of all, that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross and was buried and was resurrected, offering a pleasing sacrifice to the Father so that I could have eternal life by him. The greatest gift of all should be reminded of us by the gifts that we have under the tree. The gifts of Christmas remind us of the greatest gift of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has allowed us to have eternal life. That is the story of the Magi. But before I close, as I said, I'm going to get you a little out a little bit early today. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not know where you stand with him, if you passed away today and you do not know where your eternal destiny lies, Then Christ, as I said, has come to pay for your sin as he offers you the gift of salvation by faith in him. This comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. And listen to this part, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Um, Hope Christmas does not go by without each of us reflecting upon our relationship with the Lord. If you are here today and you are firm in your faith in Christ Jesus, then I would hope that the Christmas season reminds you of the greatest gift of all. But if you do not know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you have never set aside a moment of your time to place your faith in Him, then I can think of no better time than now to make that commitment to the Lord. We in church circles... Make the calling of the gospel something that is easy. Something that doesn't necessarily change anything in our soul. That you can pray a prayer, that you can have this mental ascent to believe in Jesus Christ, and then nothing in your life changes. That is so far from the truth. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you in that moment are born again. That you have rivers of living water. If you have never been born again, maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you know the truth, but have never believed in the truth, then today salvation is at hand. You do not have to walk out of this room unsure of your eternal life. Today, salvation is before you, that you would believe in Jesus Christ that he has come as gold, as king of the Jews, to pay for your sin in full, that he bore our sins upon himself, that he was buried in the tomb with myrrh to cover the smell of decay, and that his life and that his burial and that his death was sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. If you have never trusted in Christ, today is the day of salvation. Believe in Him, and you shall be saved. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for the message of the Gospel and the message of Your Son, how He is the Messiah, that He was prophesied long ago, and that He has come as gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Lord, I pray for this Christmas season, for those that do know You as Savior, that we would take a moment in our time just to reflect upon the greatest gift of all, your Son, and how he has come to redeem us. And Lord, for those that do not know you as Savior, that they would come before your holy throne, before your feet, and that they would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Lord, we lift up today. We thank you for this church and for all those that are here today. And we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.